You're listening to the Eastside Church Sermon Podcast Series. We are a United Methodist congregation in East Atlanta Village. We seek to be creative, historic, inclusive, and justice-oriented. We are thrilled that you found our podcast, and if you'd like to learn more about our community, visit our website at eastsideatl.org. this is your first time here, or maybe you've just forgotten, um, the month of June is going to be a really special month here at Eastside, and that is because every Sunday we are going to welcome a special guest to share with us. And so we are kicking that off this morning with the Reverend Dr. Brett Opolinski, and I'd love to share a few things about him. He is an ordained United Methodist elder from the Florida Annual Conference. He has served in local churches for over 20 years, as well as chaired the board of the ordained ministry for the Florida Annual Conference. He is a Candler graduate and has a PhD in New Testament and early Christianity from the Iliff School of Theology in the University of Denver. He has been a longtime social justice and civil rights advocate working in issues related to anti-racism, LGBTQ plus rights, poverty and criminal justice reform and is committed to helping local churches and the general church engage the world in a way that makes the kingdom of God visible. Currently, he is the Assistant Dean of Methodist Studies, Assistant Professor in the Practice of Spiritual Formation, and Church Leadership at Emory University Candler School of Theology. We are very lucky to have him here with us this morning. So can we please give the Reverend Doctor a warm welcome. Thank you, thank you, Brooke. Uh, appreciate that. And I tell you what, the honor is mine being here this morning. Um, what a joy to be here. I, I want to begin by thanking you for the witness that you are in this community and in the wider world. I was captured uh, from walking up the sidewalk and just seeing the witness of this community and, and this church right here in this place. And um, the art it's, it's around this worship space. It's absolutely beautiful. And, and I have to tell you, every time I go and visit a, a worship space and I see a lot of art, it tells me something. It tells me that people are listening for the movement of the Holy Spirit. Whether you realize it or not, uh, being an artist and being open to art, I think, is a way of saying we are curious about what the Holy Spirit is up to and all the creative ways that God is moving and working. Uh, so... The honor is mine to be here and to be a part of this worship service today. Thank you for including me and my daughter, Anna Brooke, who is actually uh, getting ready to be commissioned as a United Methodist pastor next week uh, down in the Florida Annual Conference. <clears throat> and thank you to the band and the musicians for the beautiful music leading us into, uh, into worship today. So as we get ready to jump into this, I invite you to join me as we look at the passage of Scripture for this morning. It comes from the Gospel of Matthew. This is kind of the, the, the closing part of the Gospel of Matthew, chapter 28, verses 16 through 20. And we'll talk a little bit about what this means in a minute. But for right now, I invite you just to, just to listen to the passage and see if, see if something jumps out at you in it. And 
If it does, hold on to that because that might be a way that God is nudging you. Um, something that God wants to speak to your heart, to your soul today. So uh, here is the passage of scripture. Um, Now, the 11 disciples went to Galilee, to the mountain, to which Jesus had directed them. And when they saw him, they worshiped him. But some doubted. And Jesus came and said to them, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything that I have commanded you. And remember, remember, I am with you always to the end of the age. Friends, these are the words of God for us, the people of God. Thanks be to God. Would you pray with me? Oh God, we come to the edge of this morning and we hear these words of scripture, these words of Jesus. And we open ourselves to wherever it is you might be leading us today. God, as I begin this message, may the words of my mouth and the meditations of my heart be pleasing to you, and may there be less of me and more of you. In your name we pray, Jesus. Amen. Well, as you may have already seen on the screen just a minute ago, the title of the message for this morning is Come to the Edge. And I want to begin by sharing with you a story about my daughter, Anna Brooke. Now, not to worry, I talked to her beforehand and said, I'm going to share this story. Are you okay with this? And she assured me it was all right. It's a story about when she was five years old. And one morning, we were sitting there having breakfast, probably some sort of sugary cereal that neither of us should have been eating, but mom was still upstairs getting ready. And so we could get into it. And, and so wanting to kind of make conversation with her, I, I, I asked a question that you might ask a, a five-year-old. I said, so tell me, what is your favorite Disney movie? To which she replied, without hesitation, Peter Pan. Okay, it had been some time since I had seen that movie. Uh, So I wanted to push the matter a little further. I said, so what is your favorite part of the movie then? And once more, without hesitation, she said, my favorite part is when they stick Captain Hook in the backside with the sword. (laughs) Now I have to tell you, as a father of a five-year-old who I'm getting ready to send off to preschool, I was a little concerned. Um, I didn't want to get a call home later in the afternoon about coming to pick my daughter up from... Uh, sticking people with things at school. So I said, uh, well, that doesn't sound very nice. To which she replied, and I will never forget this. She said, it's okay, Dad. Captain Hook is the bad guy. And I had to pause In that moment, a five-year-old brought me to my knees in my heart, in my faith, because I realized something, that though 
that may be true in the movies. We worship someone who gives us a radically different message than that, right? And it really, it really made me pause as an adult and think about what do I really believe about this notion of following Jesus? I mean, is this just something I talk about? Is this just something I like to sing about on Sundays? Or am I really serious about trying to pay attention and follow? What am I teaching my children? It was, it was a defining moment for me. Whoever, who would have thought Peter Pan <clears throat> could bring could bring somebody wrestling with faith to that place that was really, I would say, an important place for me in my journey. I don't know, this business of following Jesus, it's not as simple as it seems, right? I mean, maybe that's why we as the church today, maybe it's often why we're a whole lot better at worshiping Jesus than we are at following Jesus. I mean... It's easier to sing a few songs of praise, to raise a few prayers, to say a few words in a sermon, then go to lunch and go back to life as it was before we came. But if we still ourselves long enough and listen closely, we can still hear that voice whispering, that voice whispering across the ages, come and follow me. So there's a poem that I love. It's a poem uh, that comes from the Celtic Daily Prayer Book. It's the prayer book of the Northumbria community. The Northumbria community is a new monastic Celtic community um, over in Scotland. Actually, Northern England borders on Scotland. Anyway, it's a poem there called Come to the Edge. And I want to share it with you this morning. It's a pretty simple poem that goes like this. Come to the edge, he said. They said, we are afraid. Come to the edge, he said. And they came, and he pushed them, and they flew. In our story from Matthew for today, I think that's exactly what is happening to the disciples and to us. Jesus is calling us to come to the edge, to let go, maybe to be pushed into the unknown. And then perhaps with the grace of God to soar. So let me say a little bit more about that and what I mean by it. So the story that we read today, it actually has a a name and a title that people usually give to it. It's called The Great Commission. And in some ways, I like that name. In some ways, I don't, because I think for a long time, we typically read it as kind of a mission statement or a charge that we have, that we are to go out and to conquer the world, to make non-Christians Christians, so they can come and worship Jesus just like we do. And yet, I think if our our understanding stops there, we miss some really important and powerful stuff in this story. I mean, it's true. There is an element of going forth 
in this, no doubt. But this is really important. And I think this is what the story turns on. It is not a going forth to grow numbers. I'm going to say it again. It is not a going forth to grow numbers. If that happens, great. If it doesn't, well, that's part of it too. It's to bring heaven to earth. That's what this is about. Bringing heaven to earth. It's not a do whatever it takes mindset to get people to convert. It's about inviting people to this particular way of being that we talked about in the Captain Hook story a minute ago. About bringing them into this way of Jesus and then inviting them to live that same love in very real ways. There's a great writer and theologian named J. Heinrich Arnold who once said this of Jesus, and I suspect it would not be a very popular phrase today, but he once said this, he said, Jesus would rather lose his disciples than build his kingdom on a false foundation. Now think about that. Jesus would rather lose his disciples than build his kingdom on a false foundation. So let's look at this story quickly. As we said earlier, it takes place after the death and resurrection of Jesus. It takes place after that encounter that the women have with Jesus after, after the resurrection. That story where the women become the first preachers of the gospel. I always like to bring that up when people will say, you know, maybe women shouldn't be preachers. Well, I'm sorry you feel that way because Jesus made them the first preachers of the gospel, so you're just going to have to deal with that. And Jesus met these women and then gave them uh, the calling, the sending forth, if you will, to go and to find the 11 and to tell them to go to Galilee. Now, you know what was important about Galilee? It was out of Jerusalem, it was safe. And it was where everything started. It was going back to where Jesus and these disciples first started working together. And Jesus told the women, tell them to go there and that I will meet them. Now, you know what's amazing about this as the story unfolds? The disciples listened to them. The disciples had a hard time listening sometimes. But they listened to them. And they went. And the story says the 11, they make their way to this mountain. Now, I'm going to give you a, a little bit of a tip. Whenever you're reading the Gospel of Matthew and a mountain shows up in the story, it's Matthew's way of saying to you, pay attention, because what is about to happen is really, really important. So think of all the places that mountains show up in the Gospel of Matthew. They show up in the temptation story. Do you remember that? All the way back from the early part of the Gospel of Matthew. The third temptation story, it says the tempter takes Jesus up a what? A mountain and shows him the kingdoms of the world and says, I will give all of this to you. And then there's the largest collection of Jesus' teachings that we have. Uh, and they're put together in one section of the Gospel of Matthew called the Sermon on the Sermon on the Mount. Pay attention, this is important. It seems to be saying. And then there's that story of the transfiguration where Jesus appears with Moses and Elijah. And once more, it happens on what? A mountain. You get the idea. 
And so here we are in the story today. We find ourselves once more on top of a mountain. And it says that, do you remember what it says when we read the passage just a second ago? It said, when they see him, what's the first thing that many of them do? They worshiped him. However, some doubted. Yeah, it's interesting you picked up on that. Good for you for picking up on that because I think that's an important part of the story. You know, sometimes we have this idea that, that to worship Jesus, we have to have this perfect faith, that everything has to be figured out, that we have to have it all together and all of this. Well, not so. In the gospel story right here, worship and doubt are very, very close together, right? Think about that. I think this part's important for another reason too, this beginning with worship. Because we see really quickly as the story unfolds that Jesus is looking for something more than a group of people that are simply going to worship him. I mean, if Jesus was just looking for worship, it could have stopped right there. But that's not what happens, right? No, come to the edge Jesus seems to be saying to them, because if you step off, if you step off, my grace will do amazing things through you. So Jesus goes on and says to them, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Now, this is kind of going back to that story of the first mountain, the temptation story. Remember when the devil told him the same thing? Up on this mountain, all heaven, all, I mean, all authority in heaven and earth, I'll give it to you. Except in this case, it doesn't come from the tempter. It comes from God. And then Jesus says to them, go and make what? Disciples. Not worshipers. Disciples. That's a particular word, you guys. Don't miss that. We Christians, we use that word a lot. We throw it around a lot, and we don't really stop to, to, to pause and think about what it means. Disciple was a particular word in Greek. Mathetes was the word, and it meant this. Apprentice. Student. So do you hear what Jesus is telling them? Go and make students of me. Make apprentices that do the things that I did and the things that I do. Gather people in to continue this work that I started with you and that you will carry on. And then Jesus says some things about going to all nations. Well, that's the part we go over pretty quickly too, but that's really important. Some translations say to all Gentile people. Here's what's important about that. Many people in those days thought the promises of God just belong to the Hebrew people. And y'all, are we not really good today too about deciding who gets the promises of God and who doesn't? About who's in and who's out? And right here in the story, Jesus is sending them to all nations, to all people. And so right off the bat, the work of Jesus Christ is inclusive. The work of Jesus Christ is about expanding the table, not limiting it. 
baptizing them, he said, in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. Now, I could take you down this road here where we get into this really long academic exercise and question about, okay, the baptismal formula, was that something that was original to the gospel itself or was it later added by editors and uh, people who were adding on to the gospel to bring it more in line with uh, the theology of the early church? I don't really care. Not that it's not important, but I think for the purposes of this story, it's saying something that's much deeper than that debate. I think what it's talking about is bringing people into the fullness of the love of God, whatever that means. Do you know the word baptize? Um, A Greek word that was originally used for dyeing fabric. Now think about that for just a minute. Taking a piece of fabric, immersing it in the water with the dye, it goes in one way and it comes out what? in a brand new way. So hold on to that image as you think about what Jesus is telling them. I want you to go to all people, to all nations, and I want you to immerse them in the love of God. And when they come up from that, they will be very different than when they started. It's beautiful, isn't it? If we just see this story as a a conquering passage, then oh my goodness, we miss the power and we miss the beauty of it. Here's the last part of the story that I want to mention. Jesus says, as they do this, they won't be alone. They will not be by themselves. That he will be there with them. No, Jesus was bringing the disciples to the edge and asking them to step off, to step out in faith. And he promised he would be with them all the while. So here we go, as we move to the end of this. This morning as we sit here and worship. How is Jesus asking you to come a little closer to the edge this morning? How is Jesus asking you to use your life to make earth look a little more like heaven? And maybe you don't even need to think so big as earth, but your neighborhood, your home, your place of work, wherever you are. How is Jesus calling you to come to the edge, to use your life to make your corner of the world look a little more like heaven, to continue that work that that Jesus started with those first disciples and with us now? I can't answer that question for you. That's one uh, that'll take you and God having some honest conversations and some listening and being still and, and having great courage How is the church of today being asked to come to the edge and step off? Now, this one I do have some thoughts on. You know, I think if the church were to step off the edge and keep going this work of Jesus today, I'll just share a few of these with you. I won't go into all of it. We would be a people devoted to prayer and stillness and connecting with Jesus and not just staying busy. That our main goal would be to strive to imitate Jesus in our words and our actions and our attitudes and all that we do. How are we doing on time? We're good on time? Because I want to tell you all this story because I think, I think you, might, you might find it interesting. It happened very early in my, my ministry. Um, one of the first times I ever got in trouble as a pastor. 
I got in trouble a lot of times through the years, but this particular time I will never forget, and because it's going to sound like, well, it's going to sound like stating the obvious. So anyway, I was an associate pastor. I was very young at the time, and there was an older lady who came into my office. I don't even remember what she was mad about, but she was giving it to me good. (laughs) And as she got up to leave, she stood up, and she got right in my face and took her finger and said, and you... And you even expect us to act like Jesus. What would you say? I think I was, at the time, I said something brilliant like, uh. It sounds like it's stating the obvious, y'all, but being the church today that keeps this work of Jesus going, well, it actually means that we have to do this stuff. Hmm. It means we're more concerned with how well we love than how big our churches are getting. I remember one time I was visiting, I was visiting another country, and I asked a pastor there, I said, tell me about your church, how big is it? What a stupid question, Right? How big is your church? He looked at me and said, why didn't you ask me how well we love or how many people we're serving in the community because that's a far better marker of the kind of church we are than how big we are. Mm. Means we'd be more interested in following the Holy Spirit than staying comfortable. Means we'd love extravagantly and recklessly, even enemies and opponents, even the captain hooks of this world means we would always look to be inclusive, to make the table larger for anyone who wants to abide in the love of Jesus. Remember what Jesus himself once said? All who seek, find. Not some who seek will find. All, all who seek will find. And the table keeps getting bigger. We'd be more curious than judgmental. Lord, we Christians have been good about being judgmental, haven't we? What would it mean if Christians were more curious than judgmental? We'd be leading voices for social justice, not always pulling up the rear. Because if we really believe what Megan read just a minute ago, about human beings made in the image of God. I mean, if we really believe that stuff, then that means we have to be out there as voiceless for social justice or we are denying the image of God. It means we would readily surrender our privilege just as Jesus did to make earth look more like heaven. And as somebody who served a lot of middle, upper-class white churches... That's one of the things that those Christians and all of us struggle with. How do we let go of privilege? Because it works for us to make the world look a little more like heaven. It means, last, I'm going to finish with this. It means that we live our lives as if we're part of a bigger story. You know, sometimes I think we get lost in despair and hopelessness because we just feel like it's us out there in the world. 
doing it? What if we had this sense that we're part of a bigger story? And yes, there may be failures, there may be setbacks along the way, but we are part of a bigger story. We're part of God's story. And that means it's not going to end with whatever is happening right now. I don't know, that just changes the perspective in my mind. All these things, y'all, for me, these are things that Jesus is bringing us to the edge and saying, go and do because the work I started a long time ago needs to keep going. So this morning we stand there with the 11. I want you to visualize that in your mind for just a minute. We stand there with those 11. Come to the edge, he says. We say we were afraid, but come to the edge, he says. So we come and he pushes us and we fly. Amen? And don't ever worry about children's noises in worship. You know, part of this following Jesus stuff, part of this following Jesus stuff, I, I, I read somewhere in there, he said, if you want to know what the kingdom of God is like, have a lot of children around. And you'll know, so don't ever worry about children's noises in worship. I assure you, God is more, far more concerned with sanctuaries that don't have children's noises than those that do. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, amen. Reverend, thank you so much uh, for that beautiful word. I, I feel like I've had all the feelings all at once. Um, hello, if uh, we have not met, my name is Megan Davis, and I've been invited to lead us in our prayers of the people today. When I say, Lord, in your mercy, please respond with hear our prayer. Let us pray. Lord, we pray for our church our little beacon in the night that calls all are welcome. Come just as you were made in God's image, filled with impossible contradictions and beautiful chaos. We call to you who are weary and say, come here to rest and to question and to hold hands with those you deserve to love and be equal, be called the children of God. Lord, thank you for giving so many a place where they are safe to seek you and where they are seen as sacred. We all were made in your image and how holy is our birthright to be given ownership of all the earth and also to be given its care. How heavy is the crown for us who are made in the image of God. How light when it is forged with love. Let us not be afraid to wear it. Let its presence on our heads call out to your other children and whisper, follow where the light touches, so I am there, so God is waiting. Lord, in your mercy, hear our prayer. God, we pray for the city of Atlanta, for its tumult and tangled sense of self. We pray for those in power that they see beyond their noses, and for those without that their incredulity turns to passion instead of despair. We pray you don't allow our forests or families to be slaughtered in the name of some imagined peace or paradise. 
We pray you touch the souls of those with wealth and authority to look beyond politics and see people. Help those of us with voices use them, those of us with votes count. Pray, give our steps power and purpose, give us courage to move against the rising tide and raise our voices for what is right. Lord, in your mercy, hear our prayer. God, we pray for our country and what we have allowed it to become. Lord, it is overwhelming out here. Every day we watch this systematic stripping of autonomy and knowledge from our citizens. And you, who placed such opportunity in our hearts to be good to one another, to look after one another, you are watching us scratch and slap the joy from each other's hands. And for what? Out of fear? Out of shame? Lord, stop this plague of willful ignorance spreading from town to heart to household. Plant sense in those frenzied minds who are demonizing anyone other. Stop this in-group nonsense. Help us, us in this room and online, all wanting to turn away. Help us not give up on humanity. Let us be the antidote. And let us do so with patience we don't have and love we're loath to give away to those who've never proved they deserve it but are still gifted it from you. Surround us with your protection and light. Help us walk this world we have equal ownership of with pride and strength and love. Lord, in your mercy, hear our prayer. God, we pray for our world, for its silly power structures and machinations bent on keeping status quo. There were so many terrible things in the beginning of our leadership and so many glories. Before a few told everyone they had rights over many, there were honored mothers and two-spirit holy ones, and there was so much lost, even as we have made strides in some places for the better. We see the pendulum, Lord. We know it is swinging always, but as time flashes ahead, let us gather the good in our arms, hold the sacred in each other, and choose to save the best you have left for us to sow and harvest a better tomorrow. Help us see what is worth saving and capture it before we lose ourselves to life's noisy, precious distractions. Lead us in your love. Let us walk the earth with it trailing like flowers from the soles of our feet and growing thick in the cave of our footprints. Let us own what we were made for, who we were made by, and who we were made to be. Lord, in your mercy, hear our prayer. Now I would like to invite you to a time of silent confession and meditation. Hear the good news. Christ died for us while we were yet sinners. That proves God's love toward us. In the name of Jesus Christ, you are forgiven. Glory to God, amen. As a forgiven people reconciled unto God, let us now show signs of peace to one another. Peace be with you. Well, thank you, Karina, and thank, thanks to all of you. It's been a joy to be here and worship with you today. Thank you so much for inviting me. And a very special thank you to Jet, yeah, I see your hand up there, Jet. Uh, 
You may not see Jed up there. She is the one that makes all of this work down here. Um, as far as she does the sound, the AV, and all of that. So Jet, you're awesome. Thank you. So I send you out today with this benediction. I, I, I often say the benediction is one of the most important times in the worship service because this is the moment when we, we decide is what we experience together here today. Is this something that's just going to be an hour or hour and a half on Sunday or is this going to be a way of life? So I send you forth with this benediction. Friends, I invite you to stand as you are able in body or in spirit. You are a beautiful people. So keep being you. But be willing to go to the edge when it's Jesus who calls you there. And be willing to step off because it's then that you will soar. And it's then that the earth, this neighborhood, will begin to look a little more like heaven. So go in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. And go in peace. Amen. that you've enjoyed this week's message and we look forward to connecting with you soon. If you'd like to experience our full church services, you can find them at youtube.com slash eastsidechurchatl. And if you'd like to support the work we're doing here at Eastside, you can find our giving portal at our website, eastsideatl.org. Be well.